0: welcome uh, everybody to our kind of pod the podcast dedicated to discussing the university of washington men's soccer team uh, i'm your host brandon boyd and i'm joined by my co-host michael stanton are you ready to, to talk some shop here yeah we have a great
1: team this year i think we're uh rated right in the top three nationally and we've only lost i believe one game mm-hmm. uh, so it's a great team to support and um, just a lot of positive energy heading into postseason and the future. Yeah, I
0: would agree. I think, uh, uh, you know, a great weekend this week beating San Diego State and UCLA, and uh, they're in proper form heading into uh, conference tournament season. Potentially three wins on the trot, as they say. <laughs> if only we were here to discuss – uh, a football team that had any sort of confidence or a basketball team even that had any sort of confidence. I was so ready to have that, uh, you know, basically what I just did, but have it be about Husky basketball. And then last night happened. So uh, glad uh, glad we waited a day to record that so we could have an extra helping of, of shitbag on top of the shitbag we were already planning on talking about. Yeah, you did.
1: You did the right thing, and you went to bed for the second half <laughs> yeah. of that. Whereas I just continued to take the uh, full left hook right to the jaw um, to finish off what was a lovely four-day stretch of UW sports. You know, obviously the Oregon football game, and then and then the the Northern Illinois
0: loss. So that was fun. In the same calendar year, the Huskies have had their first loss to an FCS opponent, and in football and the first loss to a sub 300 Ken Palm team, um, in, 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 in hoops, which just happened Northern Illinois Wow, clocked in somewhere in the, the mid three, three twenties, uh, before yesterday and walked into Alaskan airlines arena and shut the house down. And, uh, yeah, well Hankerson Hankerson did, but, uh, I digress. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, uh, anyways, passing broadly seems to be an issue for the athletic department and and the teams that we cover. Um, None of them are are quite good at, uh, you know, connecting an an object from their hands to someone else's hands. Um, And uh, so because of that, we have lots of problems to talk about. Uh, We have made a a beer commitment tonight. We will both be, normally we, we keep this a very dry, wholesome uh, podcast is, is if we were covering the BYU Cougars. Uh, this will not be that t- sort of podcast. We need the libation tonight, otherwise we may develop an ulcer mid-conversation. So uh, we are going to be slurping a little bit, and you might hear some some uh, auxiliary sounds because of that. Um, but uh, just know that if things get a little twisty halfway through, it's because we're losing our minds, and uh, you know it's it's the IPAs are sitting in. But uh, I do find it ironic that I'm sitting at looking at myself wearing a home field apparel. Bow down to Washington t-shirt when uh, that's uh, that premise seems <laughs> seems quite quite funny anyone bowing down to our athletic department, which has become a absolute abject disaster really since Montana, slow burn, but this week especially has been a nightmare. Yeah, I don't know even know where we
1: want to start. Um, yeah, there's uh, obviously the the game itself, but <laughs> then there's multiple, Um, incidents that are worthy of discussion and then obviously what do we do now type of thing because a lot went down in the last uh, since
0: we last spoke. Yeah I think the best way to to handle this would be chronologically Um, so we are going to discuss that Oregon game first which is just by itself if there was nothing else going on and it was just a game and you know it was basically like playing NCAA football 2022 uh, that would be its own problem but then there's other stuff, including the John Donovan firing, the Jimmy Lake uh, suspension and pending firing. Certainly seems like it's it's uh, it's coming soon. And then the uh, the future of of kind of uh, un, you know walking out of the rubble that that seems to be this this season at a certain point. So to the game. Um, I mean, you were there for the visceral experience of like this game was hard enough on television, but I feel like being there in the worst weather, save a lightning storm that you could imagine uh, for football had to really amplify the shittiness of this game. This game was so out of reach
1: that I proceeded to leave the game when it was still a one possession game. Um, I, it was 20, I don't even remember. It was, we were down by eight and the, the ducks crossed the 50 with about Ten minutes left in the game and uh that my dad had been ready to leave for quite some time before that but that was my uh that was my cue to leave and uh we got out of there before the game ended so um, luckily I missed the whole punting fiasco uh on you know into the end zone for a safety um but Being the sicko that I am, I rewatched it and um, it was bad. (laughs) Do you want to just start? I'm
0: happy happy I left. Do you want to start there and we'll go backwards? Because to me, that sequence is absolutely hilarious uh, for, for, for all the reasons. Because as you said, Oregon had crossed the 50. Not only that, I think probably maybe a play or two after you leave Travis die who kicked our ass up one side and down the other, despite looking like a kicker uh, Travis die ran to the Husky nine. Um, So it is first and goal Oregon at the nine. Um, They had a 15 play drive. They're up eight started with 10 minutes and 55 seconds. They get the first and goal in the nine uh, with three minutes left four plays later. They are punting from the UW 32, which is just a a gift from God that the Huskies have have been given this opportunity to compete in this game when it certainly seemed like Oregon was going to cram it down their throat for a a touchdown to go up two scores. Instead, you get the ball back, right? You get the ball with uh, first and 10 with uh, two minutes and 14 seconds left, down eight with two timeouts. A competent football team. Could, you're right. Like, like the your your body is telling me right now, and and you had already left at this point because for the same reason, it was never going to happen, and all of us knew that. But in a vacuum, being given that opportunity uh, means that you could have summoned some offensive gumption to make it down the field. Instead, the Huskies have three straight incomplete passes, all of which are short of the stick. So even if they're completed, they are not mm-hmm. going in the direction that they need to go, which is 91 yards down the field. Uh, and uh, on fourth and 10, because there are three straight incomplete passes with a minute and 57 seconds left, the Huskies decide to punt, punt back to the team that has not been able to, or that they have not been able to stop running the ball this entire, most of the entire game uh, thinking you're going to get the ball back. You're, you're going to get the ball back with less time than you had now and you still can't throw like you have, you have to go for it. And then they got, uh, I, I just the, the most karmic blast of a snap from Jalen green, who's who's want to do this. He's done this once a year, uh, for his two years, uh, at Washington, he did it on his very first punt, um, or a uh, long snap against Oregon state last year, and then did it again against Oregon this year, just firing one over the head of poor race Porter, who has done nothing wrong. And uh, that was it. You, you, there was it was all of the energy that was deserved in that moment.
1: What's What's even worse is you know if you ha- the the one excuse or the one detail that you could you could try and uh, bring some reasoning to this decision is oh well they had three timeouts right so they can stop the clock all three times two. we had two actually <laughs> yeah. so yeah so that reason didn't even you know wasn't even something you could you could lean up, lean upon. Um, Like you said, we were unable to move the ball the the entire game. So uh, why, why would it be any different now? Frankly, you're just prolonging the inevitable. You might as well go for it on fourth and 10 and try and just score on that drive to then potentially tie the ball game again, not going to happen, but theoretically you should try rather than kicking it away, then having to go to the extent of stopping them, and getting it back and doing that all over again, where you're probably not going to have much better field position. Oh, and by oh. the way, field position is irrelevant as we saw, as was the case in the first half, where we weren't able to score any touchdowns when we had
0: maybe some of the best field position I've seen in years yeah. for, for a game. Yeah. Uh yeah, let's let's get into that that number there uh, for field position. Um, the field position starts and points for, for, to, so I'll give them to give you a yard line. And then the points does he scored on that drive their own 45, zero, their own 43, zero, their own 40, zero, their own 49, zero, their own 32, not great, but better than your, you know, average. And then your own 45, zero. Five no, six times, five times the Huskies had it past their own 40 and did nothing with it. And then one time, past their past uh, their twenty-five, also nothing with it. Just unbelievable. Here's the fir- the Huskies' first nine drives. Three plays, nine yards. Three plays, nine yards. Three plays, seven yards. Three plays, 18 yards. An unfathomably bad in, in, interception ends that drive. Seven plays, 27 yards. That, that drive ends in a failed Wildcat on fourth and one, uh, where a, a block was just completely whiffed by, I think, Ulamale <laughs> there. Uh, five plays, 22 yards. Three plays, eight yards. Three plays, six yards. Three plays, negative three yards. Just, like, are you even do, – do you even understand what the goal of this game is? Do you know that you it's, have you have to get first downs because it seems it's that, like we were in skeleton and they weren't
1: like we were playing seven v seven and they had a full squad type of thing. It mm-hmm. was it was
0: absolutely embarrassing and for most of these drives the Huskies had a lead uh, due to due to a, a gifted interception on a very terrible throw of his own right by Anthony Brown and then a safety which was should not have been a safety by uh, anyone who could you know have eyeballs. And uh, so you're gifted this awesome advantage where you can run your offense. You kind of had this, this cushion to be a little r- more risky. And instead the Huskies turtle up run their same dumb run Sean McGrew's head into the wall offense over and over. And uh, you see the results. It was, it was absolutely embarrassing. Just that part. We haven't talked about the actual really embarrassing thing that happens. We'll, t- we'll get to that. I promise. Uh, but just the football part, like what a waste of people's time. To, to come see that yeah
1: it truly was it was like you said just you know running into the wall it's the same stubborn bs that we've seen all year uh running into a stacked box um the, we we never we never made um de reuter their defensive corner think about stopping no. a pass because we we never tried to stretch the field at all uh shama grew or as a team, we had 24 carries for 55 yards, which is 2.3 yards per carry. McGrew had 48, I believe. Um, if you take out the third and goal in the fourth quarter that McGrew converted for a touchdown, which by the way, that's one of the biggest, that's, that's the biggest miracle I've seen probably in the last two, three weeks uh, that we scored that touchdown, just were able to get down the field. Uh, if you take away that play, we were one for six on third or fourth downs with three yards to go or less. We just could Jesus. not convert to save our lives. And you know, those are those are type of plays that that you should be able you should be able to get three yards. You know, that is that's, the bare minimum to stay in front. That's of the what space.
0: you're playing for. Like we've said before, if if um, if uh, offense, the goal is to never have third downs. And then if you have third downs, they better be short. The Huskies had short third downs and could not yeah. could not get it done. The, yep. the the offense uh, throwing short of the sticks on that one sequence that led to the, the, the safety, um, you know, was certainly there. That was there all night has been there all season of yep. just this, this third and long or second long situation. You're just, you're not trying to get past the yellow line. Uh, they de- they debuted this new offense where it was just a bunch of screens. They were all terrible. All these bubble screens to the outside um, for two reasons. One Oregon wasn't afraid of them at all. We don't run it. And it wasn't run well because you have not established this as part of your identity. And you just decide, oh, we're going to be a screen team this week. That's not how it works. Uh, this offensive identity has changed every single week. Terrell Bynum at one point, you and I, have, you know, or anyone watching has been like, wow, Terrell Bynum is really freaking good. One catch, uh, no passes downfield, no motion at, at, at this, no quarterback running. Uh, the one play action pass, which was a botched handoff. Fake handoff from, from Dylan Morris. Uh, Cameron Davis did the wrong thing, wasn't on the same page. And then Dylan Morris throws that aforementioned interception. Um, just like,
1: I don't, it's you, you didn't it, even try to throw to Jalen McMillan, who's your best downfield threat. Four catches for 22 yards, along of 12. I mean, there was no vertical attack whatsoever. Like you said, Terrell Bynum's been great in a couple yeah. of games over this season. You know, Jalen McMillan's had some great games too. The fact that you don't even try it is just insanity to me. Um, it's, you know, there's part of me that is like, why are we even talking about this? Because the guy who's calling these plays is no longer uh, with the team. So why waste any more time and energy on this? But at the same time, um, it's just, I, I, I can't believe what I was
0: seeing and I still can't believe what I saw. It just was baffling. The, every single game, there is something different. The offensive identity, There's some some new wrinkle or some facet that they think is a good idea. Uh, this was the the run the damn ball team, right? That's 109th in rushing EPA in the country according to the CFB graphs. This was the you know Cam Davis and and Richard Newton is our are our two guys. Uh, nope, Sean McGrew. It's it's him now. Um, and uh, this was the Wildcat team. We can't run that anymore. We were the throw it deep team against Arizona, and that was like mildly effective. And you know at least you know, you're throwing bombs it's a high risk, high, high reward thing, but there was reward there. No more of that. This is the RPO team against Stanford that worked late in, in that game. None of that, this game, like there, there's just no vision ever. It was just like, uh, well, back, back to the drawing board, every single, they game. don't watch tape, remember? So <laughs> yeah, so they that's need to <laughs> they need another bye week to, to go back and review the film to and not watch tape. And the offense has been worse since then. Um, here's here's some uh, offensive EPA, like full game numbers um, for, for, you know, like every game is, is an accumulation of plays, positive or negative, yep. And they lead to, um, you know, these these kind of spit out numbers at the end. Number one, worst offensive performance of the season for the Huskies, according to GameOnPaper.com, was uh, Montana at negative 20.16 EPA. <laughs> Uh, number two was the the game we just saw against Oregon, negative 17.19. So good to know that your first and eighth games of the season uh, are your worst offensive outputs. Oregon State was number three, negative 10.14 on that. Oregon State just fired their defensive coordinator. Uh, then Michigan, then Cal, then UCLA. The only positive EPA games, uh, you can't even say zero or Stanford because it was zero. Arizona, 2.39. And then Arkansas State, who was the worst defense in the country, that was your one positive EPA performance um, other than Arizona.
1: And we need a caveat Arkansas State. Maybe one of the worst defenses in ever. FBS history. <laughs> yeah. Like easily the worst defense this year in college football. Arizona, they just snapped the longest losing streak in FBS. So those are two teams that are at the bottom of the barrel and then dig about 10 feet below that. That's how bad those teams are. So the fact that you're barely getting above zero in that
0: statistic is just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this was all the offensive side. Of the, the defense was fine, I think, in this. I mean, unsurprisingly, Oregon was able to run the ball once they kind of got their shit together and decided that's what they wanted to do. Uh, they kind of wore the Huskies down. But still, I mean, the, the, and, and there's kind of two ways to look at it. One is, is uh, Oregon ran for, I think it was like 28 times for 220 20 yards. Um, something in those the ballpark of those those fifty six
1: for three twenty nine.
0: Die was twenty eight for two eleven. There we go. Okay, so so just looking at dies numbers, if a quarterback put up those same stats twenty eight rush twenty eight pass attempts for that amount of passing yards, he'd be like, we held him in check, right? He couldn't really push the ball down the field. But the difference is, and we've talked about this before, is that when a team is able to be that efficient or that you know pretty good offensively and move the ball at a decent clip per carry. It, Passing has all of these variables that running doesn't have running. The worst th- thing that can happen when you're running that well is a fumble, which is fairly rare in terms of, you know, sure. incidents, but with, with uh, every drop back in, 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 uh, it, when you're passing has a risk of a sack a strip sack and a fumble things that aren't really in the, in the, in the uh, cards, when you are dealing with uh, with running. And so when the Huskies can't stop the run, there is no reason to pass. Why would you open up this higher higher you know, risk opportunity when you can just do the safe thing and do it fairly well. And that's going to be good enough to beat us.
1: And what's mind boggling is we don't, we don't make any adjustments. You know, we're Mm -hmm. still running that, that three man down lineman, even though we know for a fact, they're going to run it against us. And Anthony Brown is, is not a bad quarterback, but he is certainly not a, uh, you know, we said it in last week's podcast. He's certainly not some, you know, game breaker type of guy. I would love to see him, you know, force him to win the ball game than someone who's always absolutely destroyed us and die. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Gre- Gregory did not seem like he needed to change anything. You have your your best your best players are in your secondary. Uh, I would have loved to see him say, hey, we're going to stack the box and let's see what these two guys, Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie, who are going to be first day or second day NFL draft picks. Let's see them actually go to work and see if they can stop this passing attack from Anthony Brown, who hasn't really lit it up necessarily in the passing game. Um, And that just seemed to be like there's no way we could possibly consider doing that just because it was, you know. You know, we have to be in this base three down lineman situation. Yeah. Um, it was just, yeah, feel free to run and we're gonna let you run and we will die by that. And it was a very slow death. I think Oregon absolutely dominated the time of possession to no surprise. 36 minutes to 23. Um, that's actually better really, better than I
0: I would have thought. That was uh I would have thought it'd be more like Kowski's have definitely less than 20 just for how like short, 40 or tr- yeah. 40 or 20 or something like that
1: but still you know they they didn't have we did not we didn't make uh Moorhead really try it was just okay I guess we'll run again I think there was one play in the second half I'm forgetting but they uh the one time we held them in the second half when they ended up punting or no they we held them twice but there was one play later in the game where they threw um and it was like what it we stopped them for a few yard losses like what are you guys doing like yeah. we haven't been able to stop you running just keep running like yeah. there's nothing to, that we can do to stop you guys
0: mm-hmm. yeah and uh, now Bob Gregory is our head coach for a week uh, because yes. something we'll talk about very soon so uh, let's move on to second down if you will here which is the firing of John Donovan which is the first uh, first big news that happened I don't. It's this Monday that that happened uh, that Donovan was fired must have been um, but Junior Adams has now replaced him um, and the hiring of john donovan will go down as a existential potentially deadly threat and mistake made by jimmy lake to jimmy lake's own job um i i i think everything would be in a better position if the offense was in better shape jimmy lake for the thing that we'll talk about soon would have had a little bit more runway to work with but because uh not only did was you know is his, his offense coached by john donovan he hired john donovan um we we were on this basically from the get go. This was a terrible hire. It made no sense from a performance standpoint. He hadn't done anything to prove that he could be a successful offensive coordinator at the uh, D one level. When given that opportunity, he was terrible. And uh, he had never coached anywhere off of the East Coast in his entire life. And here he is going to try and be in the West Coast and operate, or you know, in a recruiting sense or in a football sense. There was no logic to hiring him. So the fact that he is fired. Um, it's just, again, a waste of time and a waste of money to bring in a man who was never up for the job.
1: Yeah. I, we, we talked a lot about, you know, his time at Penn state where he did basically nothing, um, as their offensive coordinator, uh, he, uh, his total, his total offense in 2014 for Penn state was ranked 101st in the country, uh, at UW. 110th in points per game, with 22 uh, points per game on average. And if we look at that from a yard standpoint, it was actually worse, 112th, uh, 335 yards per game. So that comparison that we were giving this whole entire time, last season, this season, was actually worse when you when he was at UW. Uh, he scored, his offense scored seven points or less in 10 of the 26 halves he managed as offensive coordinator. Uh, he that happened three of the eight halves last season and seven of the eight halves this season. So almost half the time we're just scoring seven points or fewer in a half, in a given half. Um, I don't think I have to say it, but that is really bad. Um, so I don't know if, and how this guy gets a job. Uh, maybe he'll go into high school coaching at this rate, but um, the fact that a, we felt the need to go out or Jimmy Lake felt the need to, to, tap this NFL connection and go out on him uh, after he was just abysmal in his most recent stops in college. And then B, we expect that something better to happen is uh, ultimately going to cost uh, Jimmy Lake his job. Now, there's a few other things that will probably weigh in on that as well. But I think ultimately, John Donovan firing or hiring is what will Will cost, will factor in the most in costing him
0: his job. And we'll, we'll speak, I'm sure we'll speak about more of that uh, coming up here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's next. There's two names that I, that I have for you as to explain how John Donovan got this job despite what had happened at, at Penn State. A similar size program, um, similar talent levels. Uh, not, you know, Penn State has had some, some great players recently, but in terms of, you know, matching up, I think it, it stacks out pretty evenly. It, the Huskies probably come out a little short in that realm, but still apples to apples um with with the, that comparison there and you do the same thing The the complaints that we read i believe that it was after the montana game we look back at uh uh some of the like fan or uh, penn state bloggers talking about the, the john donovan offense after he had been fired and in a good ridden sense all of that stuff is true that the inability to, to to create an offensive identity no quarterback running no imagination going downfield all of that so again this was this we could have told you this was happening. Go back and read Mike Varrell's piece right after uh, or breaking the news about John Donovan's hiring. He laid all of this out. All of these things that, that ended up coming to fruition were apparent to us in January 2020 when he got 2020 when he got the job. So how did he get the job? Leonard Fournette and Doug Marone. John Donovan got a job again in college football after the Penn State debacle because he was a grad assistant at Georgia Tech when Doug Marone was an offensive line coach there and Doug Marone, who was then the coach after Donovan was fired, was the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Fed his boy a bone, gave him the job as the running backs coach. He's the running backs coach there when Leonard Fournette, a you know very physically gifted running back, put up a pretty good season in 2019, 1500 total yards. Uh, that's it. The 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 stupid uh, factory of coaching in the NFL led us to get John Donovan. Uh, Oregon, the team who just cleaned our clock in terms of figuring out how to diagnose and develop an offense at the exact same time, actually after the Huskies hired an offensive coordinator who had actually coached good offense before with the same talent that John Donovan had at with Joe Moorhead. Um, Just, just in, we knew this, we had known this for so long, but now that it's over, truly one of the worst decisions I think that the Husky football program has ever made bringing this guy in.
1: Yeah. I, I have nothing to add. I mean, you pretty much said it right there. Th- this is, this is as bad as it's gotten. This is uh, easily the worst uh, that this program has been at since the 0 12 season in 2008. Um, and it all comes down to, well, it comes down to a, f- a couple things, but it's more so the offense that is why we're here. And obviously he is the leader of the offense and, um, and he's deserving of not no longer being that leader of the offense, but uh, yeah, it's just there there's no reason
0: that you can grasp at to why we got to this point with him in that position. Do you think that they were prepared to fire him if we had lost the Arizona or Stanford games? Or was this a concession um, based on the strike herd around the world that we're about to talk about? No, I think I think he was. I think he was fired
1: after the Montana game or the Michigan game, even. Yeah. Um, but it was just more so like, when should we do it? Because like honestly, firing someone midseason, unless they're actual, um, they're actual like risks to the program, I, I don't think there's a lot of no. meaning or no. or positivity around doing that midseason. So maybe it was okay. The everybody's so pissed off right now that we need to do something type of thing. So maybe it was a bit of, con- bit of a concession. Um, but at the same time, he was gone.
0: You know, it's been weeks that we've known that he's going to be gone. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Uh, well, we'll never know, but that certainly seems like an accurate read that, um, that this ship had sailed for a long time. And, and we had, we had yep. talked about this after a win against Arizona. And again, the Huskies third best offensive or second best offensive performance of the season. We were still talking about the need for a new offensive coordinator. Uh, and we, uh, we covered some great candidates that have been corroborated by some other sources since then. So go back and listen to that. Uh, two podcasts ago, the post Arizona podcast, if you'd like to listen to, to see some of those names, um, Kirby Moore, that might uh, be our offensive coordinator uh, in, in the near future. Uh, I'm going to go get my second beer as we head into the the striker around the world section. So uh Uh, Be right back, gang, and I hope that you do the same, Mike. Hell yeah. That was, uh, that was what we needed over here. Uh, So, back into it here for third down, which is the Jimmy Lake suspension and uh, the Jimmy Lake situation in general. Um, so so uh, Jimmy Lake has been handed a one-game suspension as of podcasting. Uh, th- this is a very fluid situation that seems to be uh, growing even into a bigger thing by the second. It seems like Bob Gregory uh, has, has been named the interim head coach for this Arizona State game. He's the only coach on the staff. With head coaching experience so despite his shortcomings at, at his job certainly makes sense in terms of just a, a pure competency perspective um uh, jimmy lake uh, got suspended because early in the game against oregon the huskies had two personal foul penalties on the first uh non-interception drive that they had um uh, for after the touchdown at the next drive uh, or that you yeah, had the next sorry oregon throws the interception on the first drive we get the ball or uh, we score and then they get the ball back. On that drive, Oregon's second drive of the game, the Huskies have two personal foul penalties for a total of 30 yards extends that drive, leads to an Oregon field goal. On the ensuing kickoff after that field goal, um uh, Husky uh, you know uh, special teamer Ruperake Fuavai was talking a little shit to Oregon on the kickoff, uh and then Jimmy Lake comes flying into the screen as a television viewer um, and you see him strike uh, Ruperaki Fuvai in the face. And then as uh, Fuvai has turned his back, he's pushing him uh, in the back to get away from the sideline. After the game, Lake denied striking him. Said that that, that, uh, that did not happen. Uh, did you see this or notice this during the game? No, I had no idea of it until after the game when I was on social media. And it truly is one of those things that made me think because of that, it was a it was a very fleeting thing, and it was it was not like a it was not like the camera caught Lake as uh, you know after after the strike, and it just went to him of like oh we got a situation here. It just happened to be camera was in the right place at the right time. Definitely an element to this of if this is not on television against Oregon in prime time. Are we in this this point now? Does that take any of the morality points out of this? No, but it's it is just an interesting thing that because this was televised, we see this, and it makes you think how much of this happens on sidelines that is not televised, including what we recently saw. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter today of a Texas uh, assistant absolutely losing his mind on players in in uh, in the post game bus after they lost to Iowa State. So this is this is a football thing, and that has been that has been mentioned by football people. Like this is you know the, the nature of the sport. However, it did not feel right in the moment. Watching this, it was a little shocking and alarming. Certainly, not a whole lot can be done in the game, uh, but something to kind of just put the feather in the cap of like, you know, what are what you know, or or, uh, put the bookmark in of what's this going to turn into later in the game? Is this going to be a big thing? Is this going to be something that people forget about? It was anything but. Um, And uh, it, uh, I don't know what 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 were your thoughts when you first saw that this had happened given that you had also seen this seen it happen after the football parts, which are already disastrous enough.
1: Sure. Um, my take on this is I, I certainly agree that this is something that he should not have done. Mm-hmm. Um, nor have, do I remember a Husky coach doing anything, uh, in a physical manner like this before that being said, I think there are a lot of reasons why this has become a lot bigger than, uh, a lot bigger than, and I'm not downplaying it all when I say this, but it has become a big deal. And I think there's some reasons why. I mean, one, you're not an eight and one team. You're not a seven and two team. So you're under a microscope. It's an Oregon game. You're four and four. This is the worst season since 2008. Um, so, So anything like this is going to be kind of pulled out, and uh, put under a microscope, microscope more so than, than if you were having a great season. Um, you might not even have seen a suspension uh, uh, for this if we were doing really well. Um, and on top of that, you also are coming into this game with the whole academic's comments uh, right. early in the week. So there, there was a few there was a, that was kind of the first strike then it was another abysmal performance and this happened in the game. So I think Jen Cohen felt the need to, um, she had to do something at this point. The irony of it all is Jimmy Lake was clear that one of the main messages he had for his team coming into this game was to be poised and uh, that, you know, this is a huge game. Uh, He obviously had been building up to this game ever since uh, we were unable to play them last season, and therefore they took our spot in the conference championship, ultimately ended up going to the Rose Bowl. Um, and our, we, we felt very slighted as a team over that. And so they they were really building up to this for weeks. Um, this was a big deal. So he was stressing poise, and lo and behold, he's the one who doesn't have the poise in that scenario. Nope. Um, and what's, what's even worse about it is the situation was kind of already over. When he got, when he inserted himself into it, uh, Scott Huff, the offensive line coach, was right there. Um, Fuavai was kind of leaving the scene as Lake came in uh, very abruptly from the side, at least looking to it, looking at it on film. Um, And that's when he actually hit him. But then what's unfortunate is he kind of doubled down on it too, in the sense that he didn't acknowledge that he did it. And I feel like, that's something I understand. It's in the moment, but that's something that pushing someone or like hitting kind of breaking something up versus hitting a guy in the face and then aggressively pushing him away. Those are two very different things. Yeah, And so I, I think it's unfortunate that he did not And frankly, even if he didn't think he did anything wrong, which, which maybe was the case in that moment until he watched the I mean, I don't know what he was thinking, but he should have apologized in that moment in the post-game press conference, and he did it. So that even compounded things further. Um, so I I think the Jen Cohen had to suspend him. And honestly, the compounding of, like I said, the the comments about Oregon's academics, the fact that this has been awful season, awful loss, and, um, and then this inc- incident, upper campus doesn't really care about football like that this is a very this is a huge university that is that is you know all about academics and academics are first and foremost they don't, they by don't care a long shot they don't care about the epa of of our offense no they're not they're not freaks like us yeah um but they, they love to talk it up when it's doing well, but if they hear anything that's going poorly, especially that's making the university look bad, like Jimmy Lake did twice, if not three times, if you count the performance itself this past week, then, th- you know, this is, that's something they don't want to deal with. And so Jen Cohen had to do something and that resulted in the one game suspension without pay
0: that we saw come down, I believe on Monday. Yeah, the, uh, going to, to your first point of, of you know, the, there were factors that made this worse. Last night, as I was kind of taking notes for in, in preparation for this podcast, um, it was the start of the college basketball season, you know, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, and uh, Michigan State was playing Kansas, and I'm seeing Tom Izzo on the sideline. And it made me re- remember that Tom Izzo, in both the 2019 and 2021 NCAA tournaments, has been caught on camera, not striking a player, but being – Overtly, uh, verbally abusive of, of players and and laying into players on camera. Um, in, in one case, um, he did it uh, in the the instance last year. Grabbed a player. This against what Michigan State lost to UCLA in the playing game. Um, he grabbed a player by the by the wrists and tried to pull him back, and then pulled him in the back, pulled his jersey back as the player was trying to walk away from him at halftime. Uh, both of these are on YouTube if you want to go look them up. Tom Izzo gets away with this because for two reasons, Tom, well, for lots of reasons, Tom Izzo, um, the, the, incidents are probably not as bad. No, no striking a player in the face. Uh, Tom Izzo is Tom Izzo. Everyone knows who Tom Izzo is. Tom Izzo has won a national championship at Michigan state. His institution will be there until he retires. Tom Izzo is also white. I think is, is something to to consider there that, you know, th- he gets a little bit more slack because of that for all the reasons that we know. Um, and so, you know, is that fair? It, Whatever, uh, regardless, whether my coach is Tom Izzo, whether my coach is Jimmy Lake, I don't want a coach doing that to my players. I don't. I, I don't want a, that. There's a terrible look. I, I don't think that that's an effective way to coach. Clearly, it's not an effective way to coach. The team is not performing at a high level and it. it's, it's such a, a display of weakness and like you said, a lack of poise that has been echoed in a bunch of other things that jimmy lake has 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 done his his media uh availabilities there's no poise there uh the offensive you know philosophy there's no poise to to handle that with any sort of of discipline seems like he's just letting john donovan die on a vine instead of getting involved in and you know trying to to change things um recruiting um and the, the kind of denial about how bad things are going over there this is just not a guy who was ready for this and that's fine. A moment can be too big. And we might've seen that. And we might've seen that as, as being the end of Jimmy Lake's job. I, I I hate the, the, you know, the, the getting in there and saying, uh, you know, that he should be fired. And, you know, we, uh, we certainly did that with John Donovan that was a little more cut and dry because the, you know, the, he shouldn't have been hired is, is what our argument was with, with Donovan, with Lake, I don't know. But the issue is, is that this incident is going to make it if he does stay and he does keep his job, which doesn't seem quite likely right now, it is going to make his job so hard. It is going to make his job to get back to those players that that he, you know, either whether he actually offended them them or, you know, they they are hearing from their friends that he offended them and that makes them think twice about it. And then they transfer or makes his recruiting harder. It makes his hiring of the next offensive coordinator higher or harder. All of this is made harder. Because of this incident, um, and I feel for him having to deal with that, uh, whether it's at Washington or whatever his next job is, because this is going to be associated with him for a long time. I yeah,
1: I, I don't think he will get fired because of this specifically. It's it's a piece, uh, and I think it's a minor piece in the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, I don't think there's any coming back from it, mm-hmm. uh, simply because how do you go into a parents home and try and recruit a kid to come to your to play for your program when
0: you ha- are on you know tape hitting a guy well um, you, you and you do you do when you have teams that go 10 and three every year but it, sure it, it, yeah it, there's there's no counterweight here in this in this instance there's no you know yeah but he's also this it's no he's he's we you know we did this a couple weeks ago with that adidas report he's he's one stripe everywhere like there, there's just not a lot of things mm-hmm. that are going in his favor right now
1: yeah. And, and it's really a shame because I think, you know, everything was set for him and I'm speaking as if he's gone, because I truly do think he will be gone. I think, but at the end of the season, they will part ways with him. I think it's a matter. And we're hearing rumors that, that they're working on, on uh, negotiating a buyout right now, because mm-hmm. uh, instead of firing him for cause where they don't have to um, pay any of his, of his comp- you know, pay him any of his remaining contract um, they can negotiate some sort of buyout. So he does not have that on his record. Plus we don't have to pay the full amount of his contract. But that being said, I, it's a shame because the table was really set for him, obviously with Chris Peterson, the culture was already installed. Um, there wasn't that much that he had to change. Uh, he knew this team, he knew these players already. He stepped in, he just made some poor decisions and, um, you know Jimmy Lake is a, has a very big ego, and it's it's served him quite well for many years. Um, and that you know that's not a bad thing. That's that can be a very positive thing, and I think we've seen that in the way that he um, is able to not only recruit players, but uh, he's able to coach players up and send a lot of his his guys to the NFL. But at the same time, we've seen this season that that ego can also work against him. Uh, and that would be not admitting that he's wrong, um, not admitting that he you know, made this mistake potentially on Saturday, um, just just not making changes where he thinks that he can keep doing the same thing and and things will change. And that obviously has not been the case. So I think ultimately he will be let go at the end of the season. Um, I would be surprised if they let him go uh, before the end of the season. I think he will be reinstated and coach the final two games of the season. But frankly, if you ask me if he is the head coach next season, um, on top of like, let's say Dylan Morris is our starting quarterback. I have a I I struggle to see how I can walk into that stadium every other Saturday and actually spend my time uh, watching that team, which is going to
0: fail again. Um, there, there's this, I, I really struggle with that thought. No. And, and that's, uh, that's, that, that's how it goes, right. You put out a bad product and then your customers have the choice to be loyal and suffer through it or move on. And, and, and that's, that's what the, that's what the athletic department has to, has to, uh, look at with both the football product and the basketball product simultaneously, which is not an enviable position and, Frankly, not not a very revered athletic department uh, for for all those reasons as well right now. But that's that's a whole different issue. Uh, the only lingering question is kind of this this issue about okay, if, if the plan is to buy him out, why would you suspend him for for one game if 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 that's the case? Why not indefinitely while you resolve this situation? I think the answer to that is that when the suspension came, that was just kind of a temporary stopgap. Although I do think that they should have said indefinitely, a temporary stopgap and. Once that came down, there were people with money who came in and, and may have said, uh, no, like that is that is not not what we want here. We we want we want uh we want blood for for back of a lack of a better word, as they did in Lorenzo Romar's case um a few years ago when it was uh boosters coming to the blo- to, to the plate and saying, Yes, he just got this contract extension. However, we will pay the buyout here because we are ready to move on and make a change here. That is all I can I can really gather other than, you know, just, just like all we need is a week to, to settle out the legalese here and then we'll move on. And, or like you said, this is just kind of going to be the worst kept secret in the world. And then he's going to, you know, coach the apple cup and then some news is going to drop, but it certainly seems like news could drop while we're podcasting right now. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it probably has to do with,
1: with the legality of it. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of paperwork, dotting of eyes type of stuff that you need to go through in order to do this. Um, and it, like I said, it's the for cause, not for cause type of situation. He obviously does not want to be fired for cause. Um, and I don't know if UW could actually fire him for cause over that incident uh, on Saturday uh, with, with Fuevai, but um, at the same time, he's trying to protect his reputation. So um there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff so that we aren't privy to. I am completely fine with him coaching the remainder of the season after the yeah, suspension. Like I said, I don't think firing any, any coach really midseason really changes a whole lot. Um, that's why I'm not really, you know, who knows what Junior Adams will do at offensive coordinator filling in for John Donovan, but I'm not really expecting much from that um, because it's, it's going to be the, a very similar type of system, same players, et cetera. <laughs> But uh um, didn't get I, a lot of confidence
0: I, when, when Junior Adams said that uh John Donovan, well, you know, this can be very true, but John Donovan's a very smart man and he learned a lot of good football from him. It's like, yeah, yeah I kind of hope you didn't learn <laughs> a damn thing from him, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, no,
1: I'm I am definitely looking forward to seeing what this athletic department does in the offseason, assuming that they do let Jimmy Lake go, because um this this is the most important hire – of potentially Jen Cohen's career uh we said that um it, the hire of Jimmy lake was was kind of a, an easy one uh um, yeah, Chris, Chris Peterson you, that. you couldn't fail yeah exactly so Jimmy or Jen Cohen this is uh, and I and I hate to say this because I I truly lo- love Jen Cohen because she is. She is, when it comes down to it, she's one of us. She's a fan that just happened to, you know, get into this work and work her way up and she did it the right way. And I really, really, really want her to succeed. But at the same time, this is a cutthroat business. And I think this hire, assuming that Jimmy Lake is let go, this hire will define her career um, and her future at the university of Washington.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And probably the basketball hire to, to follow it as well. Um, I, it is too bad because I, I had said this before, and I, I am still of this opinion that I would be willing to give Jimmy Lake a chance with a different offensive coordinator, given that, you know, he'll finish the season having coached somewhere. If he finishes it out, you know, he'll finish, finish between 15 and 16 games coached, which in a normal environment would be a year and a quarter of, of, of college football. And that is not really a, a, a normal evaluation period, but um, this thing got very toxic very quickly. This week, I don't think, I don't, you know, I, I think there are, were, there were people saying fire Jimmy Lake. I don't think that was a realistic possibility until, until striking Rebrock Fuvai in the face. I think that, that accelerated things in a way that, uh, you know, it, it would. there were more patience would have been given to the process. Let's do one thing at a time. Let's handle the John Donovan situation. Let's make the right hire there. And then, and then reevaluate things, things changed. And justifiably so when, when uh, that came out. That, that's the weird part is, um,
1: and maybe weird isn't the right term here, but uh, Jimmy Lake, is, as much as we hate it, he has up to this point, up to this before this past week, said all the right things from a PR standpoint. Um, whether, you know, that, and that is putting aside anything he's saying about, you know, football schematics and whatnot, but he has not done anything that puts right. the university in a bad light. Um, and he's, like I said, he does, he does not, own, upper...
0: he does not own a monkey if, if that's,
1: yeah, yes, exactly. He does not date someone named pole assassin, but at the same time, um, the, like I said, upper campus, kind of will will turn a blind eye if that is the case until something actually does start to make the the university look bad and you know, bad PR. And he uh, did two of those things this week in the comments about academics and at Oregon and then obviously this physical altercation uh, on Saturday. So that snowballs really quickly and like I said, compounded with a a bad season. Uh, that can really change what people are thinking both, you know, in the fan base, but also in the people who really matter, which are boosters and people in upper campus that are putting pressure on Jen Cohen to make a decision. Yeah, And I want to say one more thing. I think as this is probably going to end poorly for Jimmy Lake, that being said, I think Jimmy Lake has been a phenomenal coach and and. Frankly, one of the best defensive coordinators that we've ever seen at yeah. this school, um, and it, it it saddens me that we've got to this point where he may actually be fired because I really wanted him to succeed here. Um, like I just said, he's, he's done everything right really, Mm -hmm. um, up until this season and arguably a little bit of last season, he's been phenomenal. He's coached some of the best defenses in the country. And that's something I can't think we, we, we can't really say it since like the early nineties. Um, so the fact that we
0: we are, we are two plus years away from, there being the 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 lingering fear that Jimmy Lake was going to leave to be the defensive coordinator of Alabama, right? yeah, or, or, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like the, that was that was the the fear. Like things changed so radically fast. One because Chris Peterson retired, and that that accelerated the timeline faster than I think really anyone was ready for. Um, and it forced Jimmy Lake into a position that it's like, hey, it's one thing to get hired when you're you know Will Muschamp taking over for. Uh, for Urban Meyer that, you know, you're going to be the the coach in waiting Mike Hopkins at Syracuse. And you know that you've, you've signed that. That wasn't really the deal with Jimmy Lake. Jimmy Lake was there to be the defensive coordinator. Certainly a, would have had aspirations to be a defense, uh, a head coach and probably would have gotten job offers following that 2019 season to do that because of how well he had done, done that at university of Washington. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean you're actually ready for it. And that's kind of what we found here. And that's, totally not to say that jimmy lake can't change that he can't learn from this i certainly hope that he will and expect him to um and i you know there's it wouldn't surprise me if jimmy lake is a successful coach uh somewhere else in the next five to ten years uh because there there was so there were so many great indicators um it just things really got out of hand and that's that that happens man that's 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 you can see the life part of this um, through all the the you know purple colored bullshit um, the, it, through the rest of it. it. It's crazy because I feel like we could take this audio and just
1: splice it or like record it and put it into the future podcast when he most likely gets let go. But that is how positive I feel about that happening in mm-hmm. the in the coming weeks. I just don't like I said uh, off the yeah. start of this topic.
0: I just don't see the way back. Yeah. Yeah, and it just, I can't believe we're here, but at the same time, um, you know, the, this, this doesn't, it doesn't feel like this is like some, some you know, uh, pitchfork mob, like this, this, is, this, got, this got really ugly and things have to change and um, kind of seems like we're, we're heading towards that. So where do we go from here, given that reality, given that uh, the Huskies are, do we have a game this Saturday against a very good team? I don't know if they're very good. They're pretty good. They're Pac-12 good. Arizona State, yeah. yeah. Arizona State is coming to town. They just uh, wiped the floor with USC, thirty-one sixteen on Saturday. Uh, the Huskies are six-point home dogs. That that line might have gone up since this morning or whenever I looked at it. Would it shock you if the Huskies won on Saturday? No,
1: nothing would shock me. We exactly we just had a yeah, nothing would shock me this season. We just referenced
0: a monkey, you know, in <laughs> Texas Tech. So remember, remember who beat or who who is the one team to beat Oregon this year? Oh yeah. That was the team that got utterly embarrassed by Utah (laughs) last, last week uh, at home. I mean, nothing, nothing is off the table right now. Um, FPI ESPN's FBI number has us at 66% to win six games, which basically I think they, they, that averages out to having a 0% chance to win on Saturday. And then a 33% chance or a hundred percent chance to win the next two. Um, if you took it that way, but um, yeah, you know, I don't believe that for a second though. No, like, I don't yeah. even know if we can win the Colorado game. No, FBI
1: has <laughs> no, has no idea about yeah. like they, they did not
0: take that into consideration, but this is not a good season for metrics just in general. No, no. Um, and so to me, I think the biggest lingering question and really the only thing that matters the rest of the year is the management of Sam Heward which is kind of yes. an inter- interesting yes. chess game. We, we got reports today from the UW-Daily, the student newspaper there, uh, who uh, you know, d- dug into the situation, had a close source of the situation that uh, had uh, Dylan Morris splitting first-team reps with Sam Heward in practice today. Uh, that would certainly indicate that Sam Heward is in the likelihood that he's going to play on Saturday. Sam Heward has made two appearances this year already against uh, Arkansas State and against Arizona, Meaning that completely he has, wasted appearances, but so dumb. <laughs> uh, meaning that he has two more appearances. If he, if he only plays in two more games this year, he will still maintain freshman status next year. That he will he will uh, keep his red shirt. So I would expect them to um, not f that up, but anything is possible uh, here. And I, I don't know. I think I think the most important thing is I do want to see Sam Hewitt at this point. I let's, let's, let's do it. Colorado, Wazoo, whatever. Um, So you got to get him probably some run. If you want to have him play in the Apple cup, he's got to play one of the next two games, but uh, I also would hate to see them burn the redshirt. So that, that, that is the conundrum is do, do you play him against Arizona state, the much better team on Saturday at home before instead, and have him not play the road gaming at Boulder um, and then have him play again at home for the Apple cup. Like, I don't know what the, the, you know, the 3D chess mechanics of this. But the worst the worst thing yeah. that could happen, I think, would be for Sam Heward to play uh five games this year. Exactly five, when two of them were yes. very stupid. Basically the Cody Bruns situation. Exactly. But yeah, <laughs> but uh
1: yeah, it it is maddening to think that we and I understand that Dylan Morris went out with an injury in the Arizona game, which is why we put Heward in. But the fact that we I think ran the ball five of the six plays he was in for. So it like didn't matter. It did just like was. And allegedly Heward was
0: always going to play even without a Dylan Morris injury, which never really checked out, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So,
1: so that's maddening because if that didn't happen, you could play him any amount of time over the next three games. Yeah. I don't really have an answer to how you do this. I, I think the road part aspect of the Colorado game is somewhat irrelevant because I don't think (laughs) Boulder is that great of a of a home field advantage and sorry to to Boulder I think that I've never been but it's it for everything I've seen it looks like an awesome stadium to go to but it just does not strike me as a raucous atmosphere so I think Colorado is easily the the worst team of the three teams remaining on the regular season schedule so I would like to see him get playing time in that game for sure and frankly if that means starting him and playing the entire game then so be it um there's part of me that just doesn't care and frankly doesn't even want to go to a bowl game this year let's just get this over with I know that the
0: coaching staff and players aren't thinking that way so I guess well, my point is and Sam, Sam Huard's development would well that's the other thing is he couldn't even play in the bowl game right exactly would, yeah if you count.
1: add another game exactly so it it scares me if we were to qualify for a bowl, like does that mean he could potentially play? I think when it comes down to it, like you said, you gotta protect the eligibility. Now I know other people, some other people in in the media. Uh, believe that it's irrelevant because Sam Heard is such a, a great talent that either a he will go to the NFL early or b because of the transfer scenarios this this uh, now in college football he will have transferred by that point just for other circumstances that we are unaware of. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to risk that that fate, I guess is, so I would rather see us play him twice. But when we do play him and when we do decide what games play him early and often, because frankly, uh, Dylan Morris is not it. Um, I don't even care if there's a new offensive coordinator. There's been enough uh, that I've seen from Dylan Morris post last season and this season for me to to know that he should not be standing in the way of. Uh, what seems to be from everything we've read and heard the second coming, you know, which is Sam Heward, a five-star recruit, legacy recruit, um, that that should, in my opinion, be the starter next season if everything is actually true about
0: him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, there, that is the thing is like, if he does burn the red shit this year, that means you probably have two full seasons of him um, left or, or like that, you know, if, if everything goes to plan, you have two full seasons of him. And then he goes to the NFL who knows though, man. I mean, like, you know, we, yeah. thought, we thought Jacob Beeson was the Heisman candidate when he came in and, you know, shit just doesn't with quarterbacks. It's, it, you know, not everyone's Trevor Lawrence, like this, we, we expect that because that's what we've seen lately, but like, God, this, this shit is hard. And even Dylan Morris, Dylan Morris is a four-star recruit and, and has really, really struggled and has not gotten any better. And so like, you know, you can't take any of this stuff for granted. And, uh, you know, so, so we'll see, but Hey, if, if you play Dylan Morris, or if you start Sam you on Saturday and he beats Arizona state at home and he looks amazing, how the hell are you going to have him not play at Colorado? Like, like, you know, you, you, you just have to run that out and just say, look, like, you know, for all the shit this year, at least we have the future of the program uh, at quarterback and he plays the rest of the games. He plays the bowl game at that point. Like, I'm fine with that. If that's the reality, is that going to happen? Probably not. But like, you know, I, I think you, you can't necessarily be afraid of that, of that scenario happening if it means that Sam Heward is that good, because uh, that still presents a positive to the program.
1: Yeah. And everything that uh, Junior Adams, the interim OC has said would lead us to believe that we will see him in some variety. So I, I'm excited uh, to see what what he does in that setting. I mean, I know I know we've been told he would play, and then he barely did. Type of thing. Yeah, but, um, I think they truly
0: do believe that this time. Um, and and jun- jun- Junior Adams is no dummy, man. He knows that this is his opportunity. He's been an offensive coordinator before. And it didn't work out so well yep. at Western Kentucky. Um, he might just see the situation. of, hey, I got, I have a three plus game opportunity to show what i can do for some other coaching regime maybe and i think that sam heward gives me the best chance to do that so fuck it like i don't i don't care if sam he here for for two more years um so um yeah anything is on the table and and you kind of just gotta gotta ride with it because um this is this is hell man we 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 have seen (laughs) we have seen the bottom of of this year this went this went about as poorly as you could possibly imagine um, and even worse than that, like losing to Montana was just not on the table. Losing to Oregon on the table, of course, you know, like uh, sure. losing losing on the road to Oregon State, like Oregon State's spunky. <laughs> losing to UCLA, I mean, that's that's a disappointment, but uh, beating Stanford, at the same like, time
1: we were we were supposed to win ten to eleven games by all pundits and yeah. all you know prediction models and everything. So the fact
0: that we we're here is just mind blowing. Yeah. It truly is. Um, so yeah, it's not, again, just, just put your hands up and let Jesus take the wheel because this is, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're rolling away at this point. Um, I think it's a good place to end it. Do you have an OKG of the week to, yeah. uh, to let's, set us right? Yeah. Let's end on a positive, huh? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: let's, let's give it, and I alluded to this to you before the, the podcast, but race Porter is having one hell of a year. Um, And he showed that again on Saturday, uh, having some great punts too. Uh, He was really why we were having that great field position in the first half because he kept pinning Oregon uh, deep, deep into their territory on the one a couple of times. If I may, uh, I'm going to sidetrack just very quickly here, but punting this year is incredible (laughs) I don't know if you are 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 aware of this are you about to talk about the sun god uh I mean Matt Areza is like yes he's the best punter maybe in football history and I'm talking both NFL and college uh just purely from a statistics standpoint he's averaging 51.9 yards per punt but there are six I believe um one two three four five six players in the single season punt yard average uh, record books for college, six of the top 10 are from this season alone, which is just mind blowing. And the top three of the top four and the top two are are all from the season. Ryan Stonehouse of Colorado State is second. His name is Ryan Stonehouse. Uh, Stonehouse. Yeah. I feel like that's a very Colorado state name. Um, But the fact that he's, he is actually averaging only 0.4 yards less than a But the, you know, I'd be a little upset if I were him and, and you have a in front of you and you're about, you would be otherwise be setting the all time single season record. Um, But I I digress on that race Porter has had an amazing season Uh, just to compare. I think on that all time list, he is, uh, yeah, 41st with 47.2 yards per punts. Um, But this season alone, he is 10th. Uh, so he's been outstanding for us. And what's cool about him is I believe he was a walk-on and he was also from O'Day, so a local kid. And I think he's either a fifth year senior or maybe even somehow a six year senior. Um, so he's been around the program for quite a while. So it's cool to see that this is
0: finally really paying off for him and he's having a great year. So that is did, my, okay. Did you just say that, that race Porter is having a top 50 punting season of all time? Yes,
1: he is having <laughs> from a average yards per punt standpoint, he is 41st all time.
0: That is amazing. <laughs>
1: Yes. What? And he's 10th, but that is only good enough for 10th this season, right? That's how crazy punting
0: has been this season. I don't know if there's a, uh, uh, you know, warming of the warming of the planet issue here going on. Uh, but, uh, I'm all for, you know, who, you know, he's a big fan of punt, punters being better as Jimmy Lake, because that, that certainly seems to be <laughs> a part of his, his fourth down decision-making is is let's let's just freaking yep. punt this thing. And, uh, Hey, it's the best, it's the best, punting it's the best single punting
1: season in in husky football history what are we complaining about we we have that
0: yeah you know, like that that is, is the that is, is the okg of the season right there. Is this really all that bad when when we got this at a race border i i think it's a fair question yeah uh my okg great. i've got two one uh if if you came into the oregon game and i told you we lost by eight um but think things kind of uh, went south at the end of the game what, what what would you have imagined happened like if i said we had the ball and we couldn't uh you know we we kind of had a turnover late in that game with a chance to tie the game what, what would you have guessed is the is the reason that we could not move the ball offensively given uh, given I... given, Oregon, given Oregon's roster uh Kayvon Thibodeau just like
1: t- stuffed us or something along those lines.
0: Yes, he did not stuff us. cave on Thibodeau yeah. was largely a non-factor because Jackson Kirkland came back from injury and played left tackle, the position that you know he had been moved to this year, and uh was phenomenal. Stonewall. Did, did someone tell him that the season started <laughs> this weekend? Is that Shit, what happened man. I don't I don't know what the <laughs> issue was, but uh yeah, Jackson Kirkland was finally as good as advertised in uh, the you know, playing the most quality opponent he will play all season. He got abused by Chandler Hutchinson earlier in the year for Michigan. Chandler yep. Hutchinson is very, very good. Thibodeau is as probably, definitely as good, uh, probably better. And uh, Thibodeau was just not a factor in this game. He was in the coverage on that interception, but uh, was not the reason that interception necessarily happened. So all props to Jackson Kirkland for doing your job, because I would have thought Kayvon Thibodeau was going to get home a bunch uh, on Saturday, and that did not happen. Part of it was because the Huskies did just didn't have that type of pass game where they were allowing plays to matriculate downfield. But that's a whole different issue. Uh, and then my other guy is uh, is Giles Jackson, who uh, I think I'm going to say it now. We have three games left, potentially four. Giles Jackson is going to return a kickoff for a touchdown this year. It's going to happen. He uh, he was not close necessarily, uh, but was got past the first and second levels a couple times on his kickoff returns was extremely excited, trying to fire up the team. Obviously when you finish a kickoff return, that means the offense is coming on. You could tell he was trying to will the energy into that offense and uh, it just didn't happen. That's not his fault. Uh, this is again uh, a week after he was featured on the two point conversion against Stanford dice that game uh, just not a part of the offense at all on Saturday. That's uh, that's too bad. Giles Jackson is fun. Uh, he's very fast, very useful player. And uh, I think it's time he got, um, I don't know, just his due. And I think it's, it's coming. He did it. He did it for Michigan a couple of years ago. I think it could be in the cards over these next few yep. games. Easily his best game as a Husky, I think this past season, this past weekend,
1: and that's just because his role right now is mo- mostly just returner, but I'd be, I'd be interested to see, uh, what a new offensive coordinator next, coordinator next year can do with a guy like that. Similar to, you know, what we did with Chico McClatcher and mm-hmm. uh, Jadon Nickens, where you can get him in space um, and he can make people miss because he certainly can.
0: The, uh, you might loyal fans of this podcast might have noticed, hey, you guys always do the great cat first and you didn't do that this week. Well, for one, we uh, just... We had enough negativity. This was this is a very sour yeah. week. We didn't uh, to highlight anything. There's some some very obvious great cats this week, so we skipped that part. Um, and we wanted to end on the positive note. However, we are going to end with a one bit of cat related audio. I'm going to close this thing out uh, with the audio from the ESPN broadcast. As they noticed in the Arizona State yes. US- USC game, uh, they noticed a, a fox coming onto the field, a fox, and you're going to hear what they thought it was instead. Good night, everybody. And stand, go dogs. Go dogs. Go foxes. <laughs> I don't know
1: if that's a cat or.
0: I uh, think that's it's a, like a fox. That, that is not a cat.
1: That, that is that not is a cat. fox. It is a fox. <laughs>